Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's get uh, back to our, and we're very glad that he joins us on a weekly basis. We feel uh, privileged that uh, Dr. Isaac Bokosh, infectious disease specialist, professor at the University of Toronto School of Medicine, and physician and scientist at Toronto General Hospital joins us weekly on the issue of uh, COVID-19 and what the developments have been in the last week. And he's with us today. Uh, Dr. Bogosh, thank you for the time, as I said. And where do you stand on the... I know you were very supportive of the idea of opening provincial parks and letting people get out and, and enjoy themselves in, in, in the open spaces again. Where do you stand on how society is incrementally being opened, reopened? Yeah, I, I'm all for it. I think uh, I think we it's going to happen eventually. We just have to do it carefully and at the right time. And certainly in Canada, some places are farther along than others in the epidemic. You know, places like New Brunswick, uh, British Columbia, the, you know, these places are having very few new cases per day. The virus is under control there. Totally reasonable to start. Um, you know, we saw Quebec, which is still having about 800 or so new cases per day. Many are focused in the Montreal area. Yeah, it's a little too soon in a place like that. And certainly the province backtracked and, and rightfully so. They were going to open up schools uh, voluntarily in, uh, in the province. And they uh, pumped the brakes a little bit of opening them up in Montreal just because there's just a high degree of community infection there. So, you know, by and large, I think we're doing a pretty good job. There is some coordination across the country. And it is time to open up slowly. We just no one should be surprised if there's a, a, a second wave. We just have to be able to have the infrastructure in place to detect and to mitigate that. Well, let me ask you about that. Why are we expecting? Uh, and that seems to be the case with many people that there's an expectation of a second wave. Why would that be? Is it simply because we're looking back to 1918 and saying it happened then, so it'll happen now? No. Has it or has it become a popular talking point? Is there scientific basis for expecting a second wave? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? We only have to look at other countries that are a few months ahead of us uh, that are experiencing this. So, you know, places like uh, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, uh, these places have all experienced second waves whenever, when they loosened up some of their public health restrictions. And then they had to sort of tighten back up a little bit or do some increased uh, screening and surveillance. So, you know, it just, it just I don't think it would come to anyone's surprise. Here we have an infection where there are lots of people that will have few to no symptoms. And when we get people mingling again or in, in, in great situations where there's just a greater opportunity for people to be in closer contact with each other, it should come to no one's surprise that we'll have an outbreak situation here or there. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's, it really is inevitable. And if we have the infrastructure in place, the ability to rapidly test, rapidly identify, rapidly isolate people, I think we'll do okay. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if we don't have that infrastructure in place, the issue is these, uh, these infections will spiral out of control and we'll have much bigger outbreaks and much bigger second waves. So I think some places are better prepared to manage this than others. How, uh, how prepared are we to properly predict what's going to happen? We had uh, modeling telling us that 
ICUs were going to be uh, stressed to the limit. The hospital surgeries uh, were going to be, uh, well, we know they were canceled, elective surgeries. We just spoke with the president of the Canadian Medical Association about that. 400,000 by mid-June of this year, according to an international study that was done in, in, in the U.K., uh, 400,000 in Canada. So is our modeling uh, sufficiently reliable that we can say this is what we expect, or does the fact that we didn't get nearly as much as was predicted, at least that I saw, uh, the first time around, does that lead to questions about the kind of modeling we're doing? Yeah, absolutely. All models aren't created equally. I really like, though, how the models basically gave us several projections. They say, they gave us, uh, here's the worst-case scenario, and it was total doom and gloom. Here's the best-case scenario, and it was, you know, kind of a unrealistic best-case scenario in some time, in some, in, depending on the model you read. And then here's the middle of the ground. If we do what we do, here's what we're going to get. And, and by and large, the middle ground of most, I've got to be careful with my words, the middle ground of most models were okay. We actually, some of the more prominent models actually underestimated the number of deaths and the, the, uh, the de- destruction and devastation in these long-term care communities uh, really uh, was more than many of the models actually predicted. So, you know, they're not, and again, these models aren't, aren't meant to give you a perfect uh, view of. No, what I, I understand that, I, but yeah. we, we do, we do create our, uh, modus operandi oh, yeah. based on that modeling. So we, oh, we, yeah. we, we, we stopped significantly important surgeries, not just cosmetic surgeries, but the very important and very, uh, you know, sometimes life-saving surgeries, about two, three weeks down the road, as Dr. Buckman said, uh, we, we did that based on that modeling. So the modeling better be correct. I, I, I agree, and you know, luckily, with the lo- not luckily with the lockdown, we really prevented a New York style scenario, and we really prevented our hospital systems from being completely overrun and stretching our system well beyond capacity. We know what it's like. We've seen we've seen what it can be like in Northern Italy, in New York, in Iran, in Wuhan. You've seen those healthcare systems, and that's essentially the whole goal of that. Uh, of the lockdown that we just had. Now it's clear that the healthcare system isn't being overrun. The we've got we don't have a green light. We sort of have a yellow light. They're going to proceed with caution and start to get some of these surgeries going again. And 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 the hospitals are sort of uh, springing back up to life now. And I think it's appropriate to do so. I think it's like it now is yeah. the right time to do no. so. Now that we're sort of out of the woods, it's, it's reasonable to to bring that back. Yeah, I understand that. But if we're going to be acting on uh, on on modeling, the modeling has to be. Uh, has to be accurate. Otherwise, we're actually uh, we're placing people in harm's way for no for no uh, acceptable reason. Let me get, let me come to this issue that's been that's been talked about and you tweeted about it. The transference and I guess the first conversations about this started uh, maybe six weeks ago in Australia with one dog. What about this uh, idea about transference of COVID nineteen from animals to humans? Where are we on that? Oh man, this is bothering me. I mean. We now, there's some evidence that this infection can go into cats. It can be even transmitted from cat to cat. There's been a handful of dogs that, that have had this infection. It doesn't look like it's that well. It doesn't really pick up that well in dogs. Dogs might not be as efficient transmitting the infection from dog to dog. One of the concerns is, you know, if there are lots of non-human animals that can actually get this infection, and if that if these non-human animals can transmit the infection amongst themselves and even back to humans, it's going to be really tricky to eradicate this virus. And in fact, we likely won't be able to eradicate this virus because it's always going to be existing in some reservoir in some other animal 
on planet Earth. And all this tells me is that we really need a vaccine. We really need a vaccine to protect humans and even hopefully to protect other animals to just bring the total burden of this infection down globally. So, you know, some interesting, interesting um, advancements on our understanding of non-human animals that get infected with this over the past couple of weeks. When uh, President Trump talks about having a vaccine by the end of the year, and he's going to use every means available to the uh, United States government, and uh, that is their their reservoir of of availabilities is huge. Do you see that happening, that by the end of, uh, by by December, there will be a vaccine with uh, hundreds of millions of doses ready to be uh, dispensed? I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. And, you know, really, truly, uh, let's put all politics aside. I know people are very polarized on on the United States and on Donald Trump, but let's just put all politics aside. This is a great plan. This is such a smart plan. They're basically looking at all the vaccine candidates, having a group of experts handpick which ones they think are most likely for success, dumping infinite resources into developing them. They're actually going to scale up tremendous production well ahead of the time. Well, even before they know if these vaccines work or not, they're scaling up tremendous production so that when they find a winner, not if, when they find a winner, they'll have the capability to make 300 million doses of these vaccines to help protect the country. They're calling it Operation Warp Speed. This is a great, if you have the resources to do, to do it, go for it. This is incredible. And, and, and this will also not just impact positively the United States, this will have tremendous global impacts because essentially yeah. they're, they're, putting fast for, they're putting vaccine research into fast forward. And, you know, if they find a couple of winners, other companies around the world can, can produce for the rest of the world as well. So this is, this is a great approach. I have to ask you about this, and I sent you the, uh, the, the link to the story from the Swiss Policy Research. I think it's an institute in Switzerland, and they, uh, they have a, a number of, they've made a number of uh, decisions or declarations based on their research. Let me just read from the overview, and I have to do this quickly. According to data from the best-studied countries and regions, the lethality of COVID-19 is on average about 0.2%, which is in the range of severe influenza and about 20 times lower than originally assumed by the World Health Organization. Even in the global hotspots, the risk of death for general population of school and working age is typically in the range of a car ride to work. Uh, and then there's lots of uh, experts are uh, are quoted, including... Biology professor and Nobel Prize winner Michael Levitt, who's been analyzing the spread of COVID-19 since February, describes the general lockdown as a, quote, huge mistake, end quote, and calls for more targeted measures, especially to protect risk groups. What do you make of this research? Well, there's a few points, and I read that document, and, you know, there's some really good nuggets in there. There's some, I think, misinformation or maybe uh, unintended uh, uh, over-analysis of some data, or, uh, but... Uh, you know, I don't think anyone for a second should believe that the mortality rates or the case fatality rates that we're seeing are going to be accurate. I mean, we know that there's tremendous under-testing. We know that there's a tremendous bias uh, to test only the sicker individuals. And so, and we know that there, the deaths divided by the number of cases is just not an accurate way to, to depict this because there's so many other people who are infected with this virus that just don't come to medical care or couldn't get a diagnostic test for about a thousand different reasons. So the real question is, what is the true, we call it uh, infection fatality rate, or what is the true fatality rate going to be 
Nobody really knows. We don't actually know yet. Those that point two number is an estimate. We're going to have a lot. Uh, we'll have some real answers when we actually roll out these serology tests that are now becoming increasingly available. This is going to help us uh, really identify how deadly this infection truly is. But as as of whatever it is, mid May of 2020, nobody can look you in the eye and tell you with a straight face what the true mortality rate is or what the true death rate is from this infection. We, as you said, really need that vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, big time. I can't wait to tell this. I mean, well, not just me, that's me selfishly speaking. I know the, the world can't wait for this, but, you know, this is just impacting everybody. It's yes, just, it every walk yeah. of life, no matter who you in are, everywhere. where you are on planet Earth, yeah. this is just having a tremendous toll, either personally or physically or economically or for yeah. the family. I think every single person has been impacted by this virus on Earth. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for all the time that you give us, Dr. Bogosh. Anytime. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. At Bogosh Isaac on Twitter, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, Infectious Diseases Specialist. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 